Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Every year, a large group of my friends get together for a disc golf tournament, or as my mom calls it, frisbee golf. (laughs) This tournament takes place over two days, and we play three 18-hole courses during that time. I know it's quite a marathon, but it wasn't always two days. When when we began, it was only in one day, and yet now we're getting a little older, so we've added an extra day. But but we call it the Green Jacket Tour because the winner of the tournament gets the honor of wearing a prestigious green jacket for the entire year. For you ball golf fans out there, you'll recognize the nod to the Masters Green Jacket. But unlike the Masters Green Jacket, our jacket was one that we found at a local Goodwill store and paid, I think, $2.50, if I can remember correctly. But nonetheless, the competition is fierce, as there are a lot of bragging rights on the line, and and the winner gets to pick next year's tournament and where it's going to be held. Our good friend Will does a great job of organizing the whole thing and pulling together prizes and everything. And I'm tasked many years with finding a place for many of us to stay for the weekend. And and a big part of the fun is seeing all the guys again and finding a great place to do that. And of course, at an affordable price can be a really tricky thing at times. One year, I thought I had found the perfect place. It was a large house with lots of bedrooms overlooking a gorgeous river. It had a hot tub and a foosball table and plenty of rooms with with, with lots of of, uh, areas and and tables for board games and and just, just a great place to relax. Not only did it have all of these things that we were looking for, but it was it was a listing on Craigslist, and and, the, and it was a, at a surprisingly affordable price. I immediately emailed the contact to see if it was available for that weekend, and I got a really quick response saying that it was. I thought I had scored a real gem this time. But there were a few things that started not to add up. <laughs> I, I just had a few nagging little things in the back of my mind that just didn't fit together. The first thing was that the owner wanted me to send the rent money through a third-party vendor to someone of a different name than his. I had never done that or been even asked to do that before, and and it was the first of, of many red flags. The next was that that he said a person would meet me at the house to give him the key. Well, that was a little strange since we were going to be getting there really late on Friday night after everybody gets off work and drives all the way there and 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 then leaving really early on Sunday morning. And, and, and it, it just didn't make any sense. Because of this, and, and quite frankly, a, a number of other things that just simply didn't add up, I decided to do a little investigation. And I asked, you know, if he was the owner of the house. And then I looked up on the tax records of the property, the name of the real owner. 
when he said that he was the owner and that the name didn't match the one I got online, I knew things were amiss. And I continued to do some digging and actually had a conversation with the real owner of the home and found out that, that this ad was just all a scam. And in fact, the scammer had someone, it was, he, he was someone in prison and he was doing this scam from prison and had been doing this kind of scam on many different people using many different properties. I, I could have been taken for quite a bit of money and, and, and I would have, would have uh, been out all that money if I had not looked a little bit closer into things that just didn't seem to add up. Well, this story reminds me of what happened with the COVID vaccine. When I was uh, first looking into it and, and it was first coming out, there was a bunch of excitement about it. I mean, we, we were told that things would be back to normal just as soon as we get the jab. How awesome would that be that that we would be able to get out from underneath these these uh, lockdowns and 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 just get back to things as as they were? The only problem was there were a few things that just didn't make any sense. Things like the fact that this was an entirely different kind of vaccine than we'd ever seen before. And they've been working on it for over 40 years and never had one approved to be safe. But suddenly now, in just a few months, it is? Then, then there was the question of natural immunity. When, when asked why people that had already had COVID should get the vaccine, the answer from doctors and others were, well, we aren't worrying about that right now. <laughs> we just want everyone to get the shot. That didn't seem very scientific to me, or medical, either one. A another point of, of concern was that you had to sign a waiver, if you're going to get the shot, saying that you knew of all the side effects before getting that shot, and not you weren't going to hold the pharmaceutical companies accountable if anything went wrong. <laughs> but yet, you know, we were told that the shot was completely safe and effective, <laughs> And yet the government gave gave them full immunity from anything that would go wrong. Well, that, there, there, there. Th then there was this the the way that it was distributed. I mean, it was given to teachers before the weak and the elderly. When asked why, the CDC said that the elderly population was made up of too many white people, and if a few more died of that age group, well, that would be okay because that would balance the scales of the races. Well, this was done even though most of the teachers were teaching online at that point. Why would they even need it? Well, things just didn't add up and and, and they just made no uncommon sense. For, for these and other reasons, I decided to not get the COVID vaccine and suffer the consequences of our decision, most of which actually came from government overreach rather than the virus itself. As time has gone on, we are learning more and more about the vaccine and have, have really been justified in our decision. Not only did the vaccine turn out not to be a vaccine at all because because it didn't prevent you from 
getting or giving the virus to someone, but even the way it was researched was questionable. Well, from a, a, a doctor um, that from uh, he, he wrote a uh, article in the Defender, and his name is David Charbonneau, and he he said this. He said the latest batch of Pfizer documents released April first confirm. Pfizer knew natural immunity was as effective as the company's COVID-19 vaccine at preventing severe illness. Hmm. On Monday, segment uh, segment on, on the hills rising, journalist and political uh, commentator Kim Iverson said the documents also reveal the vaccine could not be verified as safe for pregnant women or women who wanted to bear children, and that the myocarditis is uh, or was a known adverse reaction to the vaccine. The documents were a part of a court-ordered release of 340,000 pages of documentation submitted to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, by Pfizer in its uh, application for emergency use authorization of its vaccine. In response to a Freedom of Information Act request uh, in August of last year from public health and medical professionals for transparency, the FDA uh, initially sought to delay full release of the documents for, get this, 75 years. The FDA was trying to not release all of these documents for 75 years, but a, a federal judge mandated their release within eight months. A much better timeline. The FDA released 11,000 pages on, on April 1st. And in the discussion with Rising, co-host Robbie Sov uh, and Ryan Grimm, uh, I, Iverson identified the first bombshell in the documents. And this was the fact that natural immunity works. And, and Pfizer knows it. Iverson said this, the clinical trial data showed those with a previous COVID infection had no difference. I repeat, had no difference in outcome than those vaccinated. In the limited trial, some of the vaccinated, um, none of the vaccinated nor those with previous infection resulted in severe disease as defined by either the FDA or the CDC. The FDA defines severe COVID as a case requiring oxygen support. And even the CDC defines it a little bit differently. It defines it as a case requiring hospitalization. But no matter how you define it, there were zero cases of severe COVID in the natural immunity group, whether they were vaccinated or not. Now, Iverson also said that the data showed infection rates of any kind were statistically identical. Yes, statistically identical from the vaccinated and those with natural immunity. She said, quote, yet rather than, than say people with natural immunity um, doesn't seem to, to need the vaccine, which is what they've been saying in Europe, of course. Uh, for example, Pfizer instead spun their conclusion and said, quote, final 
efficiency, uh, efficiency results show that the vaccine provided protection against COVID-19 for participants with or without uh, effective um, prior infection. But what about adverse effects on young subjects? The clinical data also show Pfizer was aware of of now well-documented issues of more severe reactions among young subjects. Iverson said, quote, another revelation from the documents was that adverse reactions were more frequent and more severe in younger groups. (laughs) The documents reads, um, the, um, the adverse effects were generally milder and less frequent in participants in the older group, that's the 55 or over, compared with the younger group and overall tended to increase with increasing vaccine dose. The study itself was for 16 and above. So the side effects were more frequent and more severe in people under 55, even though we know the younger you are, the less likely you are to experience severe COVID. Iverson cited data from the Lancet showing 16-year-olds have a 99.993% chance of surviving COVID. 30-year-olds, a 99.943% chance of surviving. And 50-year-olds, a 99.572% chance. The Only with the 60 and older group is 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 there a drop below 99% survival rate consent forms show Pfizer was aware of the myocarditis uh, uh, and and the fertility issues according to a uh, a consent form for trial participants including the document released Pfizer knew of concerns about the myocarditis and uh, expectancy um, mentioned that that possibly uh, uh, the the impact of the vaccine on women's reproductive health. Iverson said the form lists several possible side effects, including those two, which many of us we already already know about. The, the, we we if if you've been following uh, even even just this podcast, we've been talking about this. But the document says the rate of occurrence is 10 in 100,000 people uh, for the myocarditis, um, and and they don't even specify the the gender or the or the age group. So that that's much the the number 10 out of 100,000 is much higher than what they previously reported, which was one in 50,000 people. Also, she said, we know the bulk of those cases are in younger males. So when controlling for age and gender, the risk is significantly increased. And why? Why? Because COVID doesn't really affect those really young individuals. And yet the vaccine seems to. The consent form also states the effects of the COVID-19 vaccine on sperm and pregnancy and fetus uh, or or nurse, nursing a child 
uh, all of these things just simply are unknown. Iverson pointed out how the press and public officials are demonized um, as, as vaccine hesitancy among younger women and the parents of teen girls. Despite these uh, scientists admitting uh, the, in, in this, this consent form that they simply do not know, it's been espoused as, as fact that the vaccines don't have any adverse effects on reproductive uh, organs whatsoever. And, but the fact is, we just simply don't know. I mean, Iverson suggests the, the main impact of the document release would be to provide more evidence for the anti-mandate legal defense uh, and, and those efforts of, of parents who do not want their children to be vaccinated. And yes, those efforts to mandate the vaccine are still going on. Just two days ago, just two days ago, a health committee here in the state of Washington, where this podcast originates, voted to not require the jab for all public school children. But they said they were going to revisit it later. <laughs> and I would venture to say that's probably going to be after the election, right? But this is not the only concerning thing about the COVID vaccine. The way that the data was gathered is in suspect now as well. Uh, from a, an article from BMJ.com, uh, Paul Thacker wrote back uh, last November that COVID-19 researchers, um, researcher blows the whistle on data integrity issues in Pfizer vaccine trial. In, in autumn 2020, Pfizer's chairman and chief executive, Albert uh, Burla, he released an, an open letter to the billions of people around the world who were in uh, investing their hopes in a, in a safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine to end the pandemic. Quote, as I've said before, we are operating at the speed of science, he wrote, explaining to the public when they could, could uh, effect a, a Pfizer vaccine to be authorized in the United States. But for researchers who were testing Pfizer vaccine at several sites in Texas during that autumn, speed may have come at a cost of data integrity and patient safety. A regional director who was employed at the, the research organization, and that research organization was, was called uh, Ventavia, and, and the, it's a Ventavia research group. Uh, and, and they have said that the, the company falsified data, unblinded patients, and employed inadequately trained vaccinators, and was slow to follow up on adverse effects reported in Pfizer's pivotal phase three trial. Staff who uh, conducted quality control checks were overwhelmed by the, vac the, the volume of problems uh, that they were finding. After repeated, uh, repeatedly notifying uh, Ventavia of their problems, the regional director, Brooke Jackson, uh, emailed a complaint to the U uh, U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and Ventavia fired her later that same day. Jackson has now provided dozens of um, in internal company documents, photos, 
even audio recordings and, and emails to, to uh, prove her claim. Now, first of all, we see poor laboratory management. Uh, on, on its website, Ventavia calls itself the largest privately owned clinical research company in Texas and lists many awards it has won for its contract work. But Jackson said that during the two weeks that she was employed at Ventavia in September of 2020, she re, uh, repeatedly informed her supervisors of poor laboratory ma management, patient safety concerns, and data integrity issues. Jackson was um, uh, was a, a, um, a trained clinical trial auditor who previously held a director of operations position and, and came to Ventavia with more than 15 years experience in the clinical research uh, coordination and management area. Um, and then the, the, um, we, we see Ventavia was, was not, um, was not without their problems. J Jackson's documentation, um, showed that several matters, um, were, were of issue. And late one night she, uh, was taking photos on her phone uh, of some of them. One photo showed, uh, needles discarded into plastic uh, biohazard bags um, instead of in the sharps containers uh, that that we know of the the, the, the red boxes. Uh, another showed vaccine packaging uh, materials with, um, with with trial participants identification numbers written on on the um, uh, uh, within them and they were left out in the open, potentially unblinding the participants which obviously is a problem. Ventavia executives later questioned Jackson about taking the photos instead of what she had to say. Uh, early in, uh, early and, and in uh, advertently unblinding many of the, um, uh, the, the, the different participants uh, of, of this uh, trial, according to the, the trial, uh, design, unblinded staff were responsible for preparing and administering the study during, uh, during the, the, the drug uh, vaccine um, uh, trial. So basically they were in charge of getting the participants together and giving them either the vaccine or the placebo. And this was to be done to preserve the, the the blinding of trial participants and all the uh, uh, all the other site staff, including the uh, the principal investigator. However, at Ventavia, Jackson said that the drug um, assignment um, confirmation printouts were were being left in uh, with the participants and on their charts accessible to all the blinded personnel. In um, in a recording of the meeting in late September 2020 between Jackson and two uh, directors, uh, a Ventavia executive can be heard explaining that the company wasn't able to quant uh, quantify the types of number of errors that they were finding when examining the trial paperwork for quality control. Quote, in my mind, it's something new every day, said one of the executives, we know that it's significant. So why didn't the FDA 
investigate the claims. Well, when it comes to the FDA and clinical trials, they just simply don't have the staff. Very seldom does the FDA actually look into a complaint to to its department. Yeah, in in one example, uh, Kirkcare uh, the and the the U.S. Consumer Advocacy Organization, Public Citizen, uh, along with dozens of health uh, experts, filed a a detailed complaint in July of 2018, in which the FDA um, with the FDA about a clinical trial that failed to comply with regulations for the the protection of of human participants. Nine months later, in April of 2019, an FDA investigator inspected the clinic site. What's he going to find there, right, at that time? On the 25th uh, of September of 2020, Jackson called the FDA to warn about unsound practices in Pfizer's clinical trial at Ventavia. She then reported her concern in an email to the agency. Well, in the afternoon, Ventavia fired Jackson, deeming, quote, not a good fit, according to her separation letter. Jackson said it was the first time that she'd ever been fired in 20 years as her career uh, in the field. Concerns were raised. In, 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 in her 25th of September email to the FDA, Jackson wrote that Ventavia had enrolled more than 1,000 participants, uh, participants at three sites. The full trial enrolled 44,000 participants across 153 sites that included uh, numerous commercial companies and academic centers. Uh, she then listed a dozen concerns that she witnessed herself, including participants placed in a hallway after injection and not being monitored by clinical staff, a lack of timely follow-up of patients who did experience adverse effects, protocol um, deviations not being reported, vaccines not being stored in proper temperatures, uh, mislabeled laboratory specimens, and targeting of Ventavia staff who reported these types of problems. Within hours, Jackson received an email uh, from the, the FDA uh, thanking her for concerns and notifying her that the FDA could not comment on any investigation. Um, a, a few days later, somebody called her and said, yeah, we're going to do an investigation. And of course, that was the last thing that, that, that she heard. In, in uh, Pfizer's briefing, uh, documents submitted to the FDA advisory committee meeting on uh, held on the 10th of December of 2020 to discuss Pfizer's application for emergency use application of its COVID-19 vaccine, the company made no mention of problems at, Vin at the Ventavia site. The very next day, the FDA issued the authorization of the vaccine. You see, there, there were all kinds of problems here. There were employees' accounts, not just this one, but other employees that that uh, said that, that things were just helter-skelter everywhere, um, that, that there were so many problems going on with these, these trials, these vaccine trials, and that others that got fired later said, you know, you were right. You were dead on with everything 
that you brought up and was trying to bring the light um, is what they, they were telling Jackson. After Jackson left the company, these problems persisted. And, and, and we, we know that, that, that it's not just with this COVID vaccine, but a lot of other trials as well. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we see so many of, of these um, uh, just outright terrible practices when it comes to uh, this vaccine trial. And, and yet, what are we told? We're told all the time that this is effective and this is safe. Well, we know that neither one of those th- two things are true. Neither one. The, the vaccine is not effective. People still get the, the, the virus at the same rate as natural immunity. We, we see that it's not um, safe in, in many cases because we, we see now we're starting to see some long-term effects, which we had no studies uh, for before. I mean, obviously, we, we, don't, we haven't had the time to see the long-term studies to have those, those studies in the first place. And so we see all of these issues and they're now starting to come to light. And, and you may, you may have gotten the vaccine. You may, you may be really happy with that. And I'm glad that is your choice. But what we're seeing now is that, that there, there have been problems with this all along and these were just simply covered up. Um, and, and, and you may agree with me that, that there, that this, this is something that, that should have gone completely differently. Um, or you may, you may not agree with me on that. I would love to make this a conversation starter. Let's do that. Can we, if you'll just simply go to uncommonsensepodcast.com, we can have that discussion together. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.